Hello and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse Billington, and as always, I'm joined by the Shirley to my temple, Timo Albus Daly, and the Olive to my cocktail, Ellie Mae Taylor. How are you both? I'm just dandy, thank you, Jesse. How about yourself? Not too bad, a little bit tired. It's been a fairly busy press day for Classic Car Weekly. Monday's always press day. It's always day after F1. It's always podcast day. It's a manic Monday, like the Bengals said. Ellie Mae, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And of course, we're back to review all the action from this week's Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. But to help us through the relative chaos that seemed to have spanned out across the weekend, we have a guest, a friend of the show. It's L.A. Wilshaw. How are you this evening? I'm really great. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on to your lovely show. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you here. You've always always come with some fantastic insights, so more than happy to have you back. And um, we'll launch straight into the world of Formula One and what's been going on in the past week. And uh, well, first on the list is a note on Lewis Hamilton and Angela Cullen, who have parted ways, the latter going off to pastures new. Timo, do you want to fill us in on this one? Well, that was pretty much all there was to it, to be honest, because we don't know what the pastures new are. And we don't know quite the reason for the split. I mean, there's rumours left, right and centre from all the usual silly sources. Cough the sun, cough. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, in my mind, it's one of those things. It's like a Jedi and their apprentice. She's taught him everything she knows and she can't help him anymore. So she's just going to go off and find the next big thing to try and sink her teeth into. And I don't think that there's anything kind of suspicious going on there or anything that you've got to go in for there. I think it's just, yeah, one of those things. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be some rumours circulating. I mean, there's always been rumours about Lewis and Angela as sort of a pairing regardless. So it's, there's, there's been rumours. Don't, don't, don't look surprised. I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not a gossip. I wouldn't be doing those things. <laughs> I wouldn't say that either, but I'm simply reporting what other people have reported and simply saying that there have been sort of always unbased rumours but uh, it seems that again she's a sort of sports physiotherapist sports trainer there are going to be almost certainly other sports that she'd like to work within the realms of so it's I'm going to get suspicious of Michael Italiano and Yuki Sonoda next then that's that's how that works lots of topless pictures between those two Um, but anyway uh, yeah so it's it's only fair that she moves on to a different sporting realm and wants to sort of spread her wings somewhere else with potentially a different project and equally I think Mercedes are looking at jiggling things around we seem to have as a podcast have our doubts about what they're up to this season with a lot of changes coming in through the team so potentially that might be part of it or possibly it's a knock-on effect due to that so we'll wait and see how it pans out but speaking of mercedes changing things they have announced that they will be heavily modifying the w14 throughout the season with side pods being changed somewhere along the line too and this is interesting LA, do you have anything to drop in on this one? Um, well, their current side pods are clearly not working for them, are they? So, I mean, well, yeah. saying clearly, they're still, you know, sort of a joint uh, second in the championship at the moment. Um, so that's, that's still not too bad. You know, I think they've had a better start this season than they did last season. But um, they're due a little bit more time in the wind tunnel as well. I, I think that's right, isn't it? So... Mm you know, maybe that development from the side pods and, and combined with the w- extra wind tunnel time, um, that could definitely bring some uh, some interesting uh, upgrades, you know, is, is what everybody seems to be talking about. We only just start the season and everyone just suddenly starts talking about upgrades as well. It's like, well, why didn't, why is the car just not great anyway? <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's another conversation. So, yeah, yeah, let's see. You know, jury's still out. I did Ellie enjoy Nico Rosberg trying to catch Toto out and Toto just saying, I don't care if it looks like a double-decker bus, as long as it's quick, I don't care what it looks like. Yes, yeah, concern has gone beyond the aesthetic. They're looking on the grounds of pure functionality, which I think is sort of the line you go down when you're designing an F1 car anyway. Ellie May, have you got anything to drop in on the sidepod chat? Um, No, I'll keep it short because we went off on one sort of the last... Yeah, the the preview when they have gone on a technical rant, and I'm sure to go on one of those later anyway. um, The next point we've got in the news is the fact that wheeled transport has been ruled out of track walks. Drivers are no longer allowed to cycle or scoot on track walks and must instead walk their track walks. Um, This is down to the circuits just seemingly getting too busy with different press and media outlets circulating on the circuit, as well as often on some weekends, Formula One, Two and Three, 
all doing their track walks at the same time if you try and add people on scooters and bicycles into that mix often traveling a lot faster than you anticipate them it's going to get a bit sort of sketchy and dangerous and equally this was compounded quite neatly in saudi a being a tight and busy street circuit but also the fact that will i am closed the circuit down for some music video filming they rescheduled the track walk and nico hulkenberg missed out on this as well he had prior i think it was media commitments that he had to attend to and couldn't make the track walk ellie you're shaking your head am i completely wrong or are you just annoyed at the stupidity of it all no, uh, there was two sessions uh, available for the track walk for the drivers, one earlier on in the day, in the morning, and then one scheduled for later on um, during the day. So, you know, the drive that some drivers um, had it in their head that they were going to go to the later one, um, which is fair enough. Uh, you know, if they have a choice, if they have the option, um, Nico was was a part of that particular, you know, well, I'll go later group. And of course, that they didn't foresee that then that would be cancelled for a music video. Um, and, and I'm sort of shaking my head because um, although... I don't even know what I mean with although. There's no although, is there? Why is a driver track walk cancelled for a music video? Mm. I think that, that's a question that we need to establish. Um, if these track walks are that important that that they're now saying, well, you that the health and safety, you can't drive a scooter or a, a, a bicycle on there because you know the two need to be safe, need to be important. Well, if they're that important, why cancel it for a music video? Um I personally, even though I'm not a driver, even though I've got nothing to do with the companies at the minute that that employ everybody in Formula One, probably wouldn't be too happy if my scheduled track walk that's going to enable me to compete in a race um is cancelled for a music video. So it's such a sort of low priority but formula one seems to have that sort of a bit askew on the grounds they're going ah we can just sort of get rid of this essentially relatively important data gathering part of the weekend for a sport that's so heavily driven by data that it's sponsored in large by amazon and aws I'm, I'm sure it wasn't just nico that missed that because um it's a later start it was a much later schedule as well later than bahrain so mm. it's a later schedule um I'm, I'm sure that there was more than one driver that that missed out on that track walk because they didn't intend to be there for that earlier session um but yeah obviously charles stated that he probably won't be doing any more track walks if you can't cycle it a lot of drivers like to try and get it done not necessarily as quick as possible but they like to sort of get a view from it from behind the wheel of something and equally on a on when you're on the wheels you feel a sort of a different aspects to the road you feel camera a lot more you feel surface a lot more differently through the way it's transmitted and he said that if he can't cycle it he'll instead probably just watch the videos that teams produce max verstappen hasn't isn't going to be infected by this he doesn't do them anyway in favors as he's always said in interviews staying in bed a bit longer and then he says if he needs to he just does a slower fp1 outlap which i think is possibly the biggest max verstappen flex you could possibly have but it's going to be interesting to see what the knock-on effect this has between the relationship between the FIA and driver groupings and teams where they're trying to organise their weekend schedules. There, there I think Daniel Ricciardo was... Oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> There are other opportunities to to go on the track anyway. Uh, you know, at Zanvoort, when I was doing a track walk and it was quite late on in the evening and um, uh, Valtteri was cycling around and around. You know, he, he did multiple laps, you know, passing uh, myself and, and a colleague. Um, to, and George Russell was also on the track on his bicycle. And that wasn't um, track walk time for the drivers. That was just when the track wasn't live anymore. So anybody could could go and walk on it. Um, so I sort of feel like that that if you want to go around that track on your bicycle, you can do it at sort of keep fit time, you know, at a time when people generally do track runs as well, don't they, on the, the mm. Thursday night or, you know, some of the trainers uh, take their drivers out for, for a run. So I think that there's sort of opportunities. I'm not, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just a bit of a knee-jerk reaction from Charles, but um, there will be an opportunity for him to go around the track at a certain point on his bicycle, I mm. feel. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a chance for him to cycle it, but whether it's sort of within that officially stated sort of track walk time or whether you've got the right lighting for it, whether you've got the right members of your team there for doing sort of literally piecing together. They usually go around with a clipboard and notes. You even have them sometimes taking photographs of sort of drain covers of curb stones that are too tall and stuff. So they know the exceptional minutiae of the way a circuit's laid out. I know, Ellie May, you've got a point you want to toss in here. Um, 
Yeah, I was just going to clarify that I don't think it was the FIA that's put this in force. It's Formula One management. So I think if drivers were to still cycle around it, I don't know how they will be sort of penalised or how this will yet be sort of put into force. That's very true. Probably something wishy-washy two hours after the race. Yeah, Formula One management's just going to go, uh, we'll fine you some money, I guess. But again, yeah, they're not sort of a, a mandating authority. So the moment that Yuki Tsunoda tries to sort of skateboard his way around Zandvoort, they, 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 they don't have sort of anything to do to stop him. Last thing I will say before we get onto the race, though, is that I think Daniel Ricciardo properly was ahead of the curve by this one by bringing the horse to Austin, because that's just the perfect way to get on the track now. It's not wheeled transport, but I can't imagine um, circuit management being very happy about having to send someone out to poop scoop. Well, then they shouldn't have been the bicycles. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, bicycles don't poop on circuit. Here's the title for the podcast. Yeah, this is very true. Just sort of flick it onto the verges and hope no one spins off in it. We'll move on to the actual Grand Prix itself. And Sergio Perez took pole position on the Saturday, second of his career and second at this circuit. So of his pole position record, they're all at the same circuit, which is quite a nice little round fact. And uh, we saw Verstappen having some reliability issues in qualifying, left him in P15 and possibly... Um, the same issues might have raised their head later on in the race. Um, so Ferrari and Bahrain, now Red Bull and Saudi, are we looking at early season just teething problems or is this likely to be something a bit more serious? Have Red Bull found more power than their driveline can handle? I think it depends because obviously it was, the drive shaft obviously completely went in qualifying. Mm. So Verstappen, obviously, if that was in a race, he would have had to have retired. It looks like they got it fixed, and I think with a drive shaft, that's probably a lot more easy to fix than, say, with Ferrari's troubles of an engine or, an, or electrical problems. And with Max in the race, obviously, we don't quite know what those problems were, whether it was the same issue with the drive shaft not uh, creating enough power for the sort of rear tyres. Um, but then you think still it was what with about a third of the race to go if they really needed to max could have just limped home because he was so far ahead of fernando alonso so i think it's a case of yes there may be reliability issues in that red bull but if needs be they could probably just about manage it and get away with keeping that position and finish the race whilst if it's kind of your engine or electrical issues that um, Ferrari are having it's a bit more difficult to try and limp home with LA do you have anything to drop in? Um, no not particularly um, again you know sort of ju juries are, are still out with me um, there's been some changes obviously over the winter to the regulations so you know there's some um, the car, all the cars have needed to to adjust certain things and um, I'm I'm kind of happy in a way. Not happy. That's the wrong word to use. I'm kind of satisfied in a way that um, they're all they all have some issues. They're all having problems. Um, and it it feels good from a competitive um health of the sport that Red Bull aren't romping away with it, or or Ferrari aren't, or you know Mercedes aren't. That there's now a little bit of healthy competition because there there's issues for each team, mm. uh, and and their little teething problems that uh, they will all. Um, I'm I'm actually quite excited that the 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 top few, those top sort of four or five, might really get on top of all of their teething problems, and there might be an absolute competition. You know, come sort of. April, end of April, May. We've got this sort of engineering race as the sort of four different teams are looking to try and sort of rectify any issues they have with their car that ultimately looks to be different between the lot of them. So we're going to see this sort of spread of development race through the field as they not only seek to fix problems, but also develop the car to make it faster through the season. Ellie May? I can't remember when, because as the Red Bull changed the gearbox on Max Verstappen's car, did they do that in free practices or before Park Ferme? Because which gearbox is it? Is it the practice gearbox that they use or is it actually the race gearbox? Because 
is it something then that the first gearbox it's fixable or will they then have to make another one and he gets a penalty for that later down the line when obviously you can't have that one gearbox last now for 22 races mm. it depends whether or not it's gearbox issue if it's differential issue or where quite that problem lay all we knew was essentially it's going to be the half shaft that runs out the back of the diff to the rear wheel when that failed the question is what damage was that likely to have done if it failed at the differential end and was able to spin around and batter the casing there might be chance for that to have suffer a failure later on but again it's so it's such a sort of tightly guarded secret they told us everything they need us to know and nothing we didn't and from there it's going to be sort of tricky to find out short of literally going and having a poke around the sort of leftover parts bins at Milton Keynes I don't think we're going to find out anytime soon as to quite which end of the shaft of failure was and what damage it might well have done because he seemed to stop the car sort of or at least limp the car back pretty quickish and very gently so you don't really want too much wheel speed if it's still spinning essentially a giant flailing drive shaft around i assume they're probably also quite well restrained as well they're not going to be sort of flopping around like you to get on cars where it just mullers the floor pan so interesting to see the developments and again we're going to see this sort of reliability and development race through the season which not necessarily on the face of it, but certainly from a sort of invested fans perspective is going to produce an interesting season. Uh, it didn't stop Red Bull, though, collecting a consecutive 1-2 podium, which they haven't had since, I want to say... It was 2009, somehow, yeah. which is just ridiculous when you think that that was before their domination. Mm. You, it just shows how much they kind of screwed Mark Webber over during those four years that they couldn't get a 1-2 again. And that, okay, yeah, Mercedes after that, but then last year, you would have thought that would have happened at least once, but apparently it didn't. And it was kind of, you saw the statistic about Perez getting his second pole position. You're like, yeah, it's Saudi, right? Not ever. Like, oh, no, oh. And you're like, how? That doesn't really make sense, but okay, the, it, 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 it's logical. Apparently, the, the, the information's there to back it up, and you're just kind of scratching your head like, it's weirdly impressive, but you'd expect you'd not. It's kind of like if McLaren did that. It's like okay, fair enough. Two thousand nine, that makes more sense. But Red Bull, very odd. Mm, having had such a long spell of sort of supremacy for that period, and then coming into another period of supremacy, but period of exceptional competence from Red Bull at the moment, we'll know by the end of the season whether it's supremacy and dominance. But they, it seems weird that there's this team dynamic where only one driver is allowed to be the one that sort of is constantly sort of making the headlines and you end up with this second driver that every now and then produces a statistic and you go hang on they did what and yeah although i'm hoping with how perez is reacting already to stuff this year that we might not be seeing as much of a number two driver role from him as we have done the past two seasons which would be quite nice no, early on, his confidence and his drive and his annoyance at sort of the whole fastest lap thing seems to have. I mean, his face his when head. he got told in the uh, post race interviews just before the podium was like, he did what now? That little yes. son of a. <laughs> yeah, it was. It came out in the cool down room. It was a case of, oh, did I well, get no, fast lap? He, he confirmed it there as well, but it was kind of yeah, it was before so then. It was, yeah. in the, uh, it was in the interview. Um, mm race before they went up to the podium um well, well before they went up to cool down room and uh i noticed you could see that, it written on his face couldn't I, you? He, he hasn't got a good poker face perez i saw his face just change completely and he then sort of tried to get through the rest of the interview and i thought well, let's wait for it wait for it and then they got to the cool down room and it was like it's brazil flashbacks <laughs> yeah it's like oh, oh uh, fastest lap you know quite sort of nonchalantly and i was like tries yeah. to play it nonchalantly but he he knew the other interesting thing was in that sort of I don't want to say mind games thing going on between the two Red Bull drivers but Max sat in the seat designated for the winner in the cool down room and you're sort of looking at it going perhaps you're just so used to sitting in the middle seat where you did it so many times last year that maybe you just sort of fell into a rhythm but you're clearly sat in the seat that's got Sergio's number behind it and you're sort of going yeah but he also put his helmet on Fernando's seat mm. so then there was sort of it was musical chairs at that point because it's like, who's going to take the, the next seat? And of course, it was Fernando. So then Sergio had nowhere to sit. Mm. It was, Is it too it, much to ask for a kind of 90s-esque championship style by the end of the year where you kind of get Perez and Max going for it and then Alpha Track kind of, they have a bit of fisticuffs and getting annoyed with each other in the cool down room. Like, get out of my chair and start having a bit of a tug around the place. I, I, I feel, though, that um, 
from you just you just brought it up with with Weber, you know, and, and Vettel, and I feel that Weber was always a little bit too much of a gentleman, and mm. um, you know, never sort of heavy-handed himself enough. And I feel that there needs to be a turning point for Perez, and he needs to say to sort of say, look, I'm going to stop being the reasonable guy. You know, don't he needs to embrace his inner Fernando Alonso. Don't ask the questions on the radio. Just put your foot down drive the wheels off that car to get that fastest lap. He's an expert at the fastest lap because a few seasons ago, they were bringing him in towards the end of the races to get the fastest lap point or to, to take it from Mercedes purposefully. He's the expert at these fastest laps. He's the best one out there to get the fastest laps. So drive the wheels off the car, get the fastest lap. Don't ask permission, just go do it. Yeah, because that, that was kind of the same thing that almost Verstappen did. Verstappen asked, what was the fastest lap? And they said, we're not concerned with that. And Verstappen was like, yes, but I am. So he was going to go for that fastest lap, whether they liked it or not, which is, I guess is what Perez is going to have to start doing as well. Yeah, sort of Max overrode the team orders and went for his lap. And then I think, obviously... I think it's going to start just sort of descending into this sort of almost Hamilton Rosberg esque battle, and I think when we sort of joked about the sort of the Ferrari in the in the cool down room, obviously there's that famous clip of I think is is it Hamilton lobbing a cap at Nico Rosberg or vice versa in the cool down room from quite a few years back, and again it's that sort of drivers coming off the heat of the race you're on that sort of rundown from adrenaline and you're going to have these big egos coming together and that's why i like the fact that we've got the cool down room back especially as we're starting to get these sort of ego clashes between drivers it's going to be interesting last year it was a bit of a max verstappen podcast with just two different circulating sort of guests on it but this year it looks like it could be the same three people going up there and that could be a bit of a sort of pressure cooker environment for these especially Fernando Alonso's ego and Max Verstappen's ego coming together. And then if you have Sergio Perez, I don't want to say growing a backbone, that sounds like he's quite weak to begin with, but finding more of his confidence, I want to say, is better. Um, that's going to prove to be very interesting indeed. As much as I love the Nico and Hamilton reference there, I'm also thinking, is it time for Multi-21, the sequel? <laughs> I don't think Twitter would cope with multi-21 if it were to happen today it would go into a complete meltdown and that would be hilarious but we move into something somewhat worse than multi-21 and um if you're listening to this now's probably a good time to just hit pause go and put the kettle on make a cup of tea and sit down because this this point goes on for a while and i'm not sorry about it but it's one that i think the rest of the sort of people on this podcast agree with me on and it's the fact that there seems to be, again, a complete lack of communication between the FIA stewarding teams and race directors, which leads to, as my notes say, complete stewarding bollocks with inconsistencies in how pit penalties are enforced. And we saw the rear jack touch the back of Lonzo's car when he came in to make his pit stop early on in the race, lap 18, I think it was. And he came in to serve a five second penalty for his start infringement, where he was quite a long way to the left of his box, as were a few other drivers, but they were also not penalised interesting um so car 14 was given a 10 second penalty which demoted him to p uh, so obviously because the jack touched the rear of the car before the five second period had elapsed car 14 was later given a 10 second penalty which demoted him to p4 overall in the, in the race results and george russell up to p3 this was later reversed however when aston martin went to the stewards and showed them seven occasions when a jack had touched a car previously and no penalty had been awarded so the stewards then took away the 10 second penalty, reinstating Alonso's P3 and George dropped P4. So the, one of the first questions is, why did it take the stewards so long to do their job? There was no other overhanging sort of race investigations for them to really be focused on. There was very little else going on as far as we're aware, that is. And it took them a hell of a long time to come to the conclusion that, boom, 10 second penalty. A long time after the race, a long time after the podium celebrations, which is annoying for fernando alonso because he goes up and celebrates what he thinks is his 100th podium amazing time to be him 100th podium joins the centenarian club with a handful of other drivers only then essentially have that undone taken away and then poor george russell just gets given a trophy has had none of the podium celebrations none of the sort of hooray and joy of it all so now two drivers have been robbed of something relatively important in the life and aspect of being a driver that's successful and then that gets undone again. So you've then got the ignominy of being George Russell going, well, 
matches but that for the best part of three hours there you go Alonso I'll give you that back again so all's well that ends well for Alonso bit weird being George Russell and as a fan you're watching this ongoing well that seems a bit of a mess so it's sort of ruined a podium celebration it's ruined possibly George Russell's afternoon and evening sort of going yay oh that's a shame and it also messes, messes up with the scoring a hell of a lot because for a brief period of time it promoted George Russell three places in the overall driver standings so if anyone keeping statistics like I am you've got to go back into the spreadsheets and then watch his line drop back down again it's like oh, that's a shame um, so there's like I said Lonzo pitted on lap 18 in a 50 lap race there was a huge amount of time between that pit infringement and the stewards eventually coming to a decision. Mm, questions. And there weren't many, other, like I've already said, there weren't many other incidents on the track throughout the rest of the race, so it's not like they were busy. This is, all comes down to a lack of communication with regards to the understanding of the rules and how the stewards are informed of this. The FIA had a meeting with Formula One teams and drivers, and they essentially, what it turns out is the FIA expects the teams to treat the rules one way, which has an allowance for touching cars with the jacks, but the stewards have not been informed of this. So we end up in these silly situations where the stewards are going, well, you're not supposed to do that. And the FIA has gone to the teams, you accidentally nudged the car with the jack, that's fine. That's not working on the car as far as they're concerned. So you end up with this sort of weird gulf. LA, you're shaking your head. Am I going down completely the wrong tangent or are you just so annoyed by the whole fact? I'm I'm just really annoyed and frustrated by the whole fact because the stewards are the FIA. So if you, if you look at it in terms of like their football referees, they they have to know the rules mm. if they're the people that are, are applying them and enforcing them and enforcing penalties. So what is happening that they don't know all of the rules, first of all? There's also something else a bit curious as to what's happening with the tele with, with the coverage with the cameras available to the stewards because even from the stroll incident it seems like the stewards don't have access to all to the same cameras as we do sitting at home mm. you know, the tv feed it was quite clear stroll was not stopped yeah. on track sitting in the studio or you know sitting watching it on your laptop wherever they they couldn't even see from a camera they didn't have access to a camera view of where he was they just had the gps apparently this is apparently allegedly apparently um the so links that some people will go to to not watch sky f1 is is respectable <laughs> well it's well, it's not i mean it's comes from the circuit doesn't it so mm, it'll be the live circuit feed from just the circuit yeah, camera director the live circuit feed so so it goes out throughout the world so there's there's sort of a couple of things here that that's that's disturbing me a little bit um and this hasn't been the first time because a, f a couple of seasons ago one of you might know when when and where um it could have been somewhere like brazil or something that red bull noticed something on the tv footage that mercedes had done or something had happened and they sent it to the stewards and the stewards hadn't seen it and christian horner's going come on come on let's sort this out we've seen this this has happened um so so they're not seeing everything and to me it was almost like maybe they didn't notice that at that particular moment in time maybe somebody else noticed it another team noticed it and sent it to them but if it is a penalty that's being served then they should be seeing it they should be watching it um and it seems to me like that camera angle a little bit like VAR if you're a football fan which is very very highly controversial still um, that how can you really tell anyway from that really sort of rough camera angle from from behind um, and even one of the commentators I'm not sure if it was Karun or Karun Chandra later on afterwards said he thought that maybe one of the other mechanics had touched had put his hand on it but again that was very very difficult to see from the angle that, that I could see it from um, so there are and, and then there's also this point that if they are going to clarify this ruling of not touching a car or not putting a jack under the car, if if that's going to be a point, if that's going to be considered as touching the car, so you have to wait with your jack, you can't go anywhere near it, then they should have enforced that anyway over the weekend. They should have said, no, that's definitely not allowed. Sorry what happened other seasons. Sorry what happened last race. No. We're, we're the bosses, we're in charge, this is what's happening. Um, and it's not just teams, it's not just podium celebrations, it, it's not just people being happy or sad, you know, that teams have won and lost or drivers have won and lost. This is a multi-billion 
dollar euro industry, there may have been high stakes and bets put on for this and payments made and all sorts of very complex and complicated issues that may have followed that decision in the first place, then we've changed the decision, then reverse the decision back. And um, it doesn't sit well with me. I, I don't like it. And I'm, I'm sure that you guys are, are going to give me something to think about as well. And I'll round out the point, and I know that everyone was chiming with their thoughts, because like you said, it, it is the wider implications it has for not only the podium celebrations, the way teams react and the way teams start doing debriefs, but then also, like you said, when you've got sort of things like bets and money placed on things, it, why can it not be resolved before the end of the race? That should be the period in which any of the, the racing result has to be decided. If, if it's something that happens on the last lap, you might have to have an extra bit of leeway there just to ensure something is decided fairly. But when it comes down to the camera angles, surely the stewards are equipped with all the camera angles. There is There was a brilliant shot actually from the race, a shot, a camera shot from one of the roving cameramen in the pit lane looking from the back of the car to the front. And there is a marshal wearing a tabard that says like adjudicator or something on the tabard watching a pit stop to ensure that it is done properly. Why what role does he actually serve in the overall process? Because apparently a man there looking at it first person with his own eyes seemed to have got it wrong. I appreciate that sometimes people get things wrong, but then surely if you know there's going to be certain angles that one man cannot see, you simply have a second person there. It's not tricky. Or you have a top-down camera. We've seen the Drive to Survive introductions have a top-down camera of pit stops. It cannot be tricky for the FIA for stewards to have installed a top-down camera for monitoring pit stops, to have a second angle that isn't artistically shot with tyres in front of it, so you can get a clear shot of an entire car and an entire pit crew when it comes to pit stops, especially if you're going to be applying pit penalties. It's it's crucial. And again, the pro poor communication, the promptness aside, the, the penalty is a second issue. Alonso was told that there might have been a penalty on his way. Aston Martin had caught wind of this and had told Alonso to try and pick up the pace. They assumed it was going to be a five-second penalty. So Alonso opened up a, a seven-second gap to Russell behind. And he said, they told me I had a five-second penalty, so I pushed a little bit harder and opened seven seconds and I paid the penalty. And before the punishment, and that was, he said that before the punishment was reversed. In the second stint, there was no investigation so that yeah that was in the opening penalty for his pit box infringement so he thought open up the gap that way it won't be damaged too much when he comes into pit initially then through the second stint he says that there was no investigation no information nothing if someone had told me you have 10 seconds i'd have opened 11 alonso had the pace and the ability in that car to make it go a bit further it would have been pushing it to its limits but he thought and felt that he could have pushed that car to have opened up a gap that where he wouldn't have been impacted by a penalty and that would have been the end of the race. Fair's fair. You opened up the gap. Your penalty doesn't really do anything. That happens. So, yeah, why was he not informed in a promptly enough time for it to have positively impacted the race, but impacted the race in a meaningful or sensible manner? Impact the race during the race, not yeah. after it. Yeah, during the race when the race is happening. Russell... They seem to be pretty quick on um, Ocon the weekend mm. before. You know, he, they were really... Well, I think fast. that's what annoys me the most with it. Like, we, I mean, Jesse and I all have... I think last year for a lot of it, especially for the Vida series, I think we had this. I remember I was bickering with someone, so it's probably you, Jesse, um, about the in wild inconsistencies of the stewards from race to race through all the Vida series, including W series and then F1 as well. And you just think, how can you get it so right with Ocon in terms of you've done something wrong, penalty, you've done something wrong, penalty, you've done something wrong, penalty. And then two weeks later, go, Oh, I don't see that. Multiple times for things that us 2,000 odd miles away can see on our TVs back home. It's ridiculous. And you just, like like you were saying, a like billion dollar industry, you'd think they'd have a spare couple of quid knocking about to get some of the other cam camera angles. I know Sky TV is expensive. Just go to a different uh, provider then. Get F1 TV. It's not like you don't own it and then you can see everything perfectly for yourself. It's just, it's a problem that shouldn't be a problem. And yet, for some reason, they're prioritizing all these other kind of nonsense issues that is like, okay, fair enough if everything else is sorted, but it's not because you can't even figure this out. You can't even see if Lance Stroll is on the circuit 
when everyone at home and their dog can see he's clearly not. So it's you're it's right, mad. You're right about the feeder series as well, though, because it happens all too often. It was you know, Dennis like... Helga last year as well, wasn't it? Yeah. With in in Jeddah. Yeah, in Formula Two, it happened with was it Christian Lundgaard a couple of years ago, where probably he, he had he all had, the bad luck, didn't he? He had to serve a penalty, and he served it. Um, and then I think he got P three, P two or P three in the race. And when he pulled up to to you know up at the the thing, you know, in the in, under the podium, and went up, and they said, no, 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 you, you've got a penalty. So you you can't you're not well, I they hadn't logged yeah. it he'd served it yeah and he'd served it and it was like what what is going on here what's happening and it you know it happens and you shouldn't disregard these kind of decisions just because they're feeder series you know they're they're just as important well, it's, it's the thing if you can't get it right it's something it's, it's a mistake you'd think would happen with a championship that's relatively new like Again, nothing against Formula E, but it's it's only 10 years old or so. You'd expect something there, maybe, because, you know, you've still not figured out all the kinks. But this is a 70-plus-year billion-dollar industry sport. You kind of need to have your, your stuff together on this one. Mm. I mean, George Russell spoke out on it later on in one of the interviews, and he said that he believed both penalties were too harsh for the offences in question. And he said, I understand why these rules are here, but at the end of the day, we've got to, and we've got to stick within the guidelines, but I think a little bit more common sense needs to be shown. Ultimately, and this is when he refers to Alonso's start, at least, he says, I think he was a little bit to the left on the grid. Was that right? But he gained nothing from mm. this. Perhaps a five second penalty in that regard is too much. And I don't think it impacted his start of the race. I think he was going to get Perez regardless. The statistics showed that he got off the line quicker. He had a better reaction time. He got to a certain speed marker a lot faster. He was passing Alonso going into turn one, regardless of where he parked his car, left or right. And Russell then later commented on the pit stops and he said, I don't know what happened and why he received the further penalty exactly, but a 10 second is too extreme in that case. And Alonso accepted he had made a mistake in positioning his car, but Russell and Perez agreed that the lack of visibility from the front of the car is a nightmare. You cannot see anything, especially now you've got the taller wheels with the wheel brows over the top. Trying to align your car, not necessarily left, right within the box, but also forward, backwards is a problem. That's why this year and last year, we've seen these extended yellow lines coming out to the side of the car that tell you where you want to be lining up. I think it's the front of the front wheels. That's All the more reason there. for the argument to have the transparent livery. <laughs> Completely transparent bodywork would help, but... Yeah, and the drivers say that they need better visibility to be or to come up with an idea that's better than the one they've currently got, which is just a bit of yellow paint on the road. And while it's good to have a rule in place that stops people sort of parking at different angles or overstepping their mark and gaining an unfair advantage, sometimes when you're parking your car, they say it is just luck, to be honest, where you position yourself. And again, it's positioning your car on the grid is tricky because of their design and the limited track markings touching the car with a jack doesn't constitute as working on it the stewards seem to have no clue what's going on and the fia who yeah manages that's the, the only consistent thing with the stewards is that they have no idea they have what's, no going, idea what's on. going on they're kept in the dark by the people that essentially organize them and oversee their half of the sort of the process and when the stewards actually have to do some work it's slow overdrawn and nowhere near timely enough to positively or negatively impact the race we're barely two seasons two races into the season and things have already gone peak tong for f1 it's not a good viewpoint either from within the sport or as a very casual fan looking at it going hey what happened there you're sort of going oh, it's a bit a bit weird it, it could put off other fans, but equally as a more hardcore fan, you're going, oh, it's just bloody annoying, isn't it? You just want to enjoy the race and walk away from it knowing what the answer is, not checking your phone at 11 o'clock at night and going, oh, so Alonso did get a third. Right. This is not the way you want a race to be decided. But, but I think that this is, it's going to be, it's being looked at. Um, I think if I ever got the information correctly, it's going to be addressed by the next sporting advisory committee, which I think is in three days. Um, and then clarified, there's going to be a clarification issued ahead of the Australian Grand Prix. Mm. There's almost certainly going to be some sort of answer, some sort of, basically someone's drawn up some notes from it and gone, look, these are the things we need to do better because clearly this was a shambles. And I think rightly so that someone's doing something about it. But whether in F1 we actually see something in the, in the end done about it is a different matter. We often see people raising points, raising arguments, saying, oh, we need to do this. This needs to be done better. And F1 simply sits back and just sort of nods its head and goes, It always yes. comes across as a bit of a whack-a-mole. They sort one thing out and the next thing pops up and I'm like, oh, for God's sake, not again. Yeah. Ellie May, do you have anything you want to put in on this one? No, you've been a little quiet. Um, 
I'd say in terms of penalties themselves, they should be given if whatever the driver has done has given the driver like a lasting advantage. What Alonso did at the start, it was his position was correct in sort of the front line. It just wasn't correct where he was then positioned in the starting box, sort of it was just a bit to the left of it. So that didn't give him really an advantage. And I guess it needs to be more looked at whether did he gain an advantage from that or not? And he clearly didn't. And then as well, when he pitted, I don't know whether I was eagle-eyed or what, but I noticed that the Jackman touched his car immediately because then during those five seconds, those five seconds actually went really quickly for me because I was questioning whether that was allowed or not. And then still, I didn't get that clarification throughout the race. And then when that kind of, speculation came about that he was then maybe getting a penalty that was the first thing that came into my head but then I thought why is it taking this long because I've seen it and you know what what are they doing and yeah, I mean no I'm... no no disrespect to any of us here on the podcast but if we can bloody spot it <laughs> then it was quite why plain can't that... they as the guy goes to scoot the jack in, not necessarily aiming to touch the car, but at least get it underneath essentially the rear tail lamp, ready to jack it up, you can see that he's come in a bit with the jack not lowered enough and it's clipped it and sort of wobbled. And you can see the contact, but it's not actively trying to lift the car or start work. He's simply just moving something and has bumped into the car. It's not, again, that lasting advantage argument. It's not been something to try and sneakily speed up the process. It's simply sort of it's the same way that you see all the mechanics hovering above what they need to do the instant that five seconds elapses. That's fine. You can have a jack hovering waiting to do that. That's fine. And simply in that instant moment when you're under pressure... He's just made a sort of hairline mistake. And again, it's not given Alonso a lasting advantage in going into that race. If anything, it forced him to drive harder and put more risk into his race and his strategy towards the end, trying to open up that gap that he might have needed. It's certainly been a bit of a shambles. But through all of that, we've at least been able to appoint some winners and spinners from the race, certainly. So um, we'll move on to our next little section. And Timo, who was your winner from the race? Well... As is always seemingly the case for us, we bash a team or a driver and then come next race weekend, things have turned around a bit and we went on quite a bit of a rent for Mercedes and despite a temporary P3, which was still a P4, P4 and P5, I think a lot better than any of us were probably expecting, including Mercedes. So I kind of have to put them as my winner and... It's a shame that we couldn't have seen Lewis unleashed a bit more because when he was on the mediums and everyone else was on the hards, I would have liked to see if he could have pushed ahead a bit further and gone to catch up maybe P3. Um, whether or not he would have got past another matter entirely because we know what Alonso is like, especially now in this Aston Martin already this year. Um, and they could have always swapped them back later on, but it didn't happen. But at the same time, solid result, P4, P5, if that's... If you, especially like I think it was you, LA, mentioning earlier, if you compare it to where Mercedes were in Saudi last year, much better for the second race. I mean, they they chanced themselves onto a podium slightly in Bahrain last year because of Red Bull DNFing, but they have been for, for, for supposedly a terrible team and a terrible car, not too bad. So I kind of have to little glimmer of hope that I hope isn't quashed immediately in Australia because that'd be awkward, but um decent and i kind of i'm I'm glad i was wearing my mercedes top yeah, fair enough ellie may who was your winner from the race i've gone for logan Sargent. i mean he started sunday i guess at, at the back of um as his q1 lap got deleted after running his tires over the pit entry line which is frustrating as it was a good enough lap to get him into q2 but he drove pretty solidly throughout the race defending from joe de Vries and the two mclarens pretty well in the second half of the race and i think i've been pleasantly surprised by his performance over the past two races i think he's been the most impressive rookie so far considering that williams should in theory be the worst car there and both him and albon have been very good at getting or extracting quite a bit out of that car i think that yeah i wouldn't say the williams is the worst car on the grid at the moment and the worst f1 has... car because mclaren appear to have brought a feeder series car and not realized yeah they've rocked up with a couple of years back f4 or something but they're 
the Williams is is decent and his ability, Bahrain especially was a good example of this. The fact that he was very nearly able to get into Q2 with a time rivaling that of Norris's was a surprise. So the only reason he didn't was because Norris did it first. Mm. That was literally the only reason. The only reason, yeah. And again, his form over Saudi was strong and he was... At points, it looked like he might have been able to sort of make a real charge up to sort of the, not necessarily points, but certainly sort of around 11th, 12th. It was a decent little drive and, yeah, good signs of good things to come at least. LA, your winner from the race weekend. Oh, it's just so hard, isn't it? It's a <laughs> one because, I mean, I know he's world champion, but he made up 13 places, didn't he, and still got the fastest lap of, of Max Verstappen. But then you've got to look at Sonoda, who made up five places, um, and, and Leclerc, who made up five places. But tell you who I'm going to give it to. I'm giving it to K-Mag because, you know, he started down in 13th after being, uh, you know, just that little shuffle um, there in the order, in the starting order. Um, made up three places, but he got that very first point for Haas in the last few laps, eventually uh, getting past Sonoda that he couldn't get past all laps. So no- he tried and he tried, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, Sonoda knows what he's doing. You know, he's he's still got that that freshness F two you know scrap left in him. You know, he's still he's still quite recent from there, isn't he? So even though it's a couple of years ago now, but no, I'm I'm giving it to K Mag and to Has because they've worked so hard. You know that they were doing really really well a few seasons ago. We know this. They had the 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 plug pulled on them they had the finances pulled on them uh, for the reasons obviously that we know about and we're not going to talk about and they've really been a determined team there seems to be a lovely team there seems to be a nice family team as well you know close close knit and k-mag for me all day long that race yeah, it, does, it sees them leap up into seventh in the standings as well, Has So they've sort of got the season off to a good foot. And while their track record in Australia is a bit hit and miss, it'll be interesting to see how quite how well they perform there. But uh, time will tell. But yeah, came out get a decent little performance, decent drive against Yuki as well, really had to put, put up a fight against him. And yeah, it was nice to see a bit of action from him. And again, earned a well-earned reward for the Haas team for sort of developing a relatively decent car this season and equally for the drivers for being able to extract the pace from it. So nice stuff. I'm going relatively straight down the line with my winner. Um, for me, it's got to be Sergio Perez for sort of showing that he's come into this season with a real fire in his belly for something. And again, there were moments across the weekend where he looked like he was driving on just an absolutely different level to some of the other people in that field. And that's what I really want to see from him this season or more of that from him this season is this sort of evolution of his ability out on track and this sort of absolute hunger to get something. So if we can keep growing from here, it'd be a good time to be a Sergio Perez fan indeed. On the flip side of that coin, though, we do want to find out who people's spinners were. And LA, I'm going to throw to you straight off the bat. Person who really should have done a bit more this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to go for Oscar. I know he's a rookie, but he's still a racing driver and he's been racing a lot of years. Um, you know, and he knows the score. He knows how it is. And, you know, there was a little that little coming together at the beginning with with Gasly, with Pierre, that, that affected the rest of his race. You know, he qualified in eighth. Gasly yeah, should have given him more room as an experienced driver as Gasly is. No, I no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. You know, I, I, I do feel that sometimes... Just take a breath, take a step. You don't have to go for the win on your first lap. You know, you, if anything, what even if you're stuck behind after the first few laps, you've got that DRS then about to kick in. So it, to me, he should have just have not have tried to have gone up that inside because that wall on the left catches everybody out every single race, every single time. Uh, so to me, he should have just backed out a little bit and then gone for it again at the next opportunity. So I just feel I feel frustrated because Oscar is great. You know, we I, we did watch that season that he he won the championship as a rookie in F two and his F three season, of course. He's a great driver. He's a great guy. Just take a breath. You're against Pierre Gasly, the guy who started off in in the AlphaTauri in Red Bull. Gasly knows what he's doing. You know. Just take a breath. You wouldn't have lost your your front wing and you wouldn't have affected Lando's race either. So it's not blame, blame. You know, if Oscar, you're watching, I'm, not, I'm sorry, but <laughs> just take a breath and uh, next time don't knock your front wing off. 
Oscar, if you are watching, hello. Please remember to like, comment, subscribe. Um, we'll have some more positive notes on Piastri coming up as well. I've got some slightly different thoughts. El, uh, Ellie May, your, your uh, spin-up for the weekend. Yes, so down the similar line, I've gone for McLaren. I mean, Oscar, he had a good qualifying session, getting to ninth on the grid, and then Lando hit the wall, uh, breaking the steering rod in Q1, so starting at the back of the grid in 19th. And the race was painful to watch if you're a McLaren fan, really. I mean, like you said, both picked up front wing damage, and I don't know whether they that still continued to carry on throughout the race, whether they still have some of that da damage sort of lurking about. And I almost hope for their sake they were, but because because they were absolutely nowhere. They couldn't overtake Williams in a drag race with DRS open. And you kind of get excited thinking, oh, Williams and McLaren are battling against each other again. And then you realise it's for P15 and it's not that great. It's kind of going back to GP2 engine again, except for it's not the engine, it's everything else. There's a lot more to be gotten from that McLaren. There's possibly some bits about it that do work, but there seems to be a lot about it that at the moment yeah, Oscar doesn't. Oscar that bit works. It, it certainly does, and I know that, Timo, you'll sort of echo and lead in, or lead into yours quite nicely because uh, your spinner was Norris and the stewards. Yeah, I mean, stewards, I feel like we don't need to go on anymore else there, but I just want to hammer a point home again that they have to go and take a seriously long look in the mirror. Um, Norris, though, yeah, I mean, as much as he got caught up in the opening lap stuff with with Gasly and Piastri and everyone else there. I feel like he shouldn't have even been there in the first place. He should have been able to see that a bit of a mile off and not even been there. So I just kind of think that, I don't know, there's been something a little bit off for me with Norris for a little while. And he kind of, he talks a lot of talk, but doesn't have the, doesn't have the track record to back it up. And it's, a lot of it is down to his own kind of mistakes in some way. He could have won three races back-to-back -back almost in 21 if he'd really wanted to, but didn't. And at least two of those were, were his kind of fault there. Um, so to, to kind of give Piastri a good mention, don't worry, I'll balance things out, are they? Um, I did enjoy it a lot when he passed Norris because <laughs> I just thought, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to happen all season. Because as much as I didn't want Ricardo to go, if he's going to be replaced, I then kind of want that driver to really show why. And Norris needs to be challenged a bit because he's clearly not been for the last two years. And to see him not only pass Lando, but then disappear, overtake such and something Lando couldn't do against a rookie with the DRS, like you were saying, it was just delicious to watch as a kind of neutral-ish fan there and kind of like, yeah, we kind of, we want Oscar to do well. It's a shame that we have to have him in this way, but if we're going to have him like this, then at least we can still find some kind of joy there. And hopefully this is the wake-up call that Norris needs to be like, yeah, you're only the number one driver because no one's challenged you since signs. So that only lasts so long. And hopefully Piastri is kind of the driver that can wake him up and, push the team forward a bit it seems a little bit reminiscent of maybe a, a Hamilton in Mercedes before they were dominant it's kind of he's got that kind of calm collected mindset that he could build a team around him and then Norris is like wait a minute that's my team I'm like not anymore it's not you should have been paying more attention so yeah Norris is my spinner anyway so I can move on and I think that's none of us are liking McLaren much at the moment <laughs> Yeah, I think the Piastri argument is an interesting one because of the amount of money that McLaren have effectively poured into getting him into that seat. They want to at least give him a I fair copy. I do think competent. part of him is also regretting not being with Alpine now, considering that they could that yeah. could have been quite good for him as well. Mm, that wouldn't have been a bad starting point. But yeah, the amount of money they poured into getting hold of Oscar Piastri, McLaren are clearly going to give him a fairly good sort of run at things to prove that the money they did spend was justified. And I think that's why they had um, sort of him and Norris, I don't know if it was team orders, I can't remember if it was or not, but whether the fact that he was able to simply make that overtake and disappear off up the road is a good chance for him to prove that he was worth that time and investment and the whole hassle that um, that they poured into it. So that is good indeed. Um, I think for me, my spinner though has to be Ferrari. And this was a race that they really needed to sort of prove that Potentially their sort of retirement in Bahrain was a bit of a fluke, but they came into it having replaced nearly every element on Charles Leclerc's car to a point that he's now had to serve a grid penalty for going over on electrical components. 
it's not the start to a season you want as Tifosi, and it's annoying. But I'm always one for as much as I love praising <laughs> Ferrari, I'm one to always go on a big rant about them when they upset me because, well, I don't know, I, I want them to do better every weekend. Then <laughs> every weekend, yeah. And I think, yeah, this is another instance of Ferrari really should have done better today. And the fact that they were, they seem to be down on pace. They seem to be, for a brief moment, it looked like they had fantastic strategy, despite the fact that Stroll just drove past Science going through turn thirteen. They did look like, like they around had this the outside, strategy. no less. Yeah, just literally swung it around the outside, pulled it off, had the drive coming out the corner. I can't remember if there was a tyre difference between the two of them, but it was just, it was not a weekend to be a Ferrari fan. But hey, It's weird we because you're like, Mercedes beat them, and you're like, that sounds correct, but it doesn't. Yeah, in the grand scheme of where Mercedes are in development with their chassis and in reality where Ferrari were with their chassis last year and their sort of overall performance... It's not what you'd expect unless you sort of just come out of a coma in 2015, maybe. Um, anyhow, we'll move on to other drivers worth a mention. One of them we've already touched on a fair amount, and that's Piastri. As um, we've already mentioned, once he and Norris swapped places, he literally vanished. Another driver that we've got on there is Logan Sargent, who we sort of touched on with Ellie May's winner for certain. Some good battles on track and some nice driving skills. Um Sonoda, we've also previously touched on. He's also makes our list of drivers worth a mention. He had a fantastic battle with Kevin Magnussen and proved that he could really hang around the points for a very long time. But just in the end, against a far more experienced driver, didn't quite have the edge to cut it. The interesting one that's fourth on this list is Nick DeVries. And I don't know who wrote it in, but I'm curious as to why. I did. Why? I, I know... F1 haven't really shown much of DeFries these past two races, and in fairness, there hasn't really been much to show that AlphaTauri is sadly a lot worse than I thought. But the reason he's on there is, for me, he did the best overtake of the race on lap 42, where he... Did we see it? We did see it. It was live TV. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I must have been watching the stewards camera, sorry. Wow. He boldly overtook Logan Sargent on the inside of turn 27 in a way that was almost like, I'm coming through, get out my way. And it was so punchy, and I respect that, because it was sort of, to get that line on the inside of turn 27, but do it so that you're not pushing the other driver into the wall. I think, you've well, you have to have so much trust that Logan Sargent isn't then going to crash into you when he's trying not to go into the wall as well. And just to do that so well and so cleanly, I thought he deserved a mention. I think that's fair. He made a decent run of things this weekend. LA, have you got something to chuck in? Um, I do. It's, it's, it's not about debris. And I know we've covered them, as I say, a little bit um, already, Sergeant and Piastri. Um, but, but one thing that we have to remember from feeder series is that... Um, Logan was set back a year uh, in in F3 for for you know the reasons that you you can read about online and whereas Piastri went up and then won his championship um last season Logan did struggle a little bit to get going um you know the balance of the car of the, of the car in and once he got to Baku he absolutely flicked a switch and and he admits himself it was self learning he needed to get get to grips with the tires pardon the pun the balance of the car and and he ended up being in real lovely symmetry you know between man and machine um and at one point he was in absolute contention uh, to win that F2 championship he could have mathematically won it himself um and even up to the last i think race weekend i think he was third and ended up coming fourth with Liam Loss and his teammate just overtaking him so the one thing i want to mention to you is that Logan and Oscar were teammates as we mentioned really, really early, but didn't connect the two at the time. They were teammates in Formula 3 at Prima. And in 2020, Oscar won and Logan came third. And there was only four points between them in that championship. And of course, the three of them, which we've said Vesti was a part of that Prima team as well, they they won the team's championship by a massive margin. It was really huge. The three of them were really on fire that season and really challenging each other. 
So the interesting thing about Oscar and Logan is I'm really looking forward to any more battles on the F1 circuit because they're quite evenly matched and they know each other very, very well. Mm. They're going to know exactly how each other is going to drive into a corner, roughly the behaviour they'll use to defend lines. So it's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on as it develops. And if, yeah, if Saudi's given us just a little taster of things to come, it's going to certainly be interesting as things move forwards um we have our predictions review next on our list to get through and it's an interesting one because uh i didn't score anything ellie may didn't score anything despite her protestations in the group chats and timo scored two although at one point he had scored two then he scored one then he scored two again because alonso did retain his p3 position which does give timo a point his other one was for perez getting pole so uh Congratulations there to Timo. I think overall Ellie May still holds the lead in our predictions battle. Oh no, it's well, up I to... probably peaked for the season, don't worry. No, it's it's uh, four points apiece between you and Ellie May, and I'm still on one. So in which case, game on, I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah, here we go. The battle begins. Uh, next up though is Constructors Countdown. McLaren unwilling to hold on to 10th place while AlphaTauri drop one position from 8 to 9. Williams also take a dive from P7 to P8 in the standings as Haas leap from 9th to 7th. Alfa Romeo drop from 5th to 6th while Alpine take a step forward into the top half of the field. Ferrari cling on to 4th for the time being with Mercedes and Aston Martin tying on 38 points in P3 and P2 respectively. And at the front, Red Bull leads by 49 points. So that's how the constructors' standings look. But what about if we play this in the fantasy realm? Yes, we have our own little fantasy league running. I think you can still join it. There'll be the code and the link somewhere in this video in the description on the podcast somewhere. Um, but we'll see who the winner is from this week. Well, I'll tell you who our biggest climber is. Jumping up six places from their ranking last week is Max Out on Speed. The worst performing team dropping nine places was the podcast team, My Neck, Mike Crack. And uh, Francisco Rhodes still leads the field. Uh, I can't remember what points they're on. Not particularly important. They are streaking away, though. It's a big gap at the front for them. Uh, Ellie May is the highest out of the three of us in P5 with her EMT <laughs> racing. I want to know how. Hmm? how like, <laughs> because I've got, okay, I have got Red Bull and Aston Martin, but I've also got Nick DeFries, Nico Hulkenberg, and Valtteri Bottas. How am I doing better than you two? I don't know, but I did go and make some changes this afternoon. Uh, but yeah, you're in P5. Uh, my highest team is Midbeds Racing with P8, and uh, Timo's On the Curbs is his highest one, leaping from 21 to P16. So fairly mixed bag of results there, but I went through and made some changes to my teams this afternoon because I wasn't feeling I, great I about where they were. absolutely tragic time of it because I thought I'd made changes that I hadn't made, so I thought I'd had an excellent weekend and then went to review my fancy team of like, Wait, what's what's what are you what are you drivers doing there? Why have you I got Alfa Romeo? Why have I got Elbon? Oh no. <laughs> uh, well, you can always make those changes ahead of Australia, which is the next race on the calendar, and that is where you will hear from us all again next. But only if assuming you're not an F2 fan, in which case you'll probably skip our feeder series review covering the F2 action in Saudi Arabia and can hang on until we are talking all things Australian Grand Prix in a few weeks' time. Although, if you really want some more interaction with us, I say interaction, like this is some sort of relationship, it's not, we don't know you, um, there is an interview with former F3 driver and current USF Pro 2000 Championship driver, Francesco Pizzi. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. That's on its way out. Timo, you conducted the interview earlier today, I want to say, was it? I did indeed, bright and early this morning, and uh, it was an absolute treat. Nice chap. Mm, so look forward to hearing uh, your interesting chat with Francesco on the way soon. Still, in the meantime, if you want more from the three of us and indeed our guest, Timo, where can the people find you? You can find me over on Is It Fast on the Curbs, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock Sorority, Paddock Passion, and Instagram. I am just about gosh darn everywhere, as I like to say. He is indeed. Ellie May, where can you be found? Uh, you can find me co. What's the word? Co. Co managing. Co running. Co running. Yeah, co running the Instagram page and running the TikTok page. 
it's very much worth yeah very much worth checking out the instagram page there are some fantastic graphics and bits ellie may puts together for that one including uh ahead of the saudi arabian grand prix you had a brilliant little um sort of circuit guide as well that was quite fun to read through that one so make sure you're giving us a follow over on the gram and if you want more from la where can people find you they can find me on road to f1 and that's on all the platforms available which is obviously instagram facebook tiktok uh, twitter and uh, on youtube as well um because you know i do intend to get uh, some nice interviews in this season and i already have a couple out there with louise goodman uh, who, who we all know and love from icv formula one days and also um i've just done you you talk about it francesco uh, another a new Cheruz driver for f2 and that's brad benavides um and so i've just interviewed him as well uh which is lovely to hear from him and he's got a little sort of nice surprising story and, and a nice little background so yeah youtube as well yeah plenty of time for you to get across the youtubes and keep an eye on those make sure you again always drop a like comment and subscribe that's always the the phrase everyone loves using for youtube um if you want more of me you can find me across twitter and instagram as at jesse on cars and if you really want more of me and want to hear me rambling on about classic cars be sure to pick up the latest issue of classic car weekly new issue drops wednesday which will hopefully be the day after this podcast comes out we'll be able to read my words on the lotus esprit turbo the one that james bond had in fioris only fantastic car um so yeah that's all we've got time for this week's episode we'll be back in australia 